This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a forum for courageous conversations about difficult subjects. This is part two of a series I'm doing with Daryl Fort about violence prevention. Part one last week, we focused on blaming the victim and the culture of male violence against women. This week, I'll be speaking to Daryl Fort again about ways that we can think about our own language and behavior such that we begin to make changes in this culture. And it will be also exploring some of the things that make that very challenging to do. Subjects that are difficult to talk about can also be difficult to hear. Parental discretion is advised for tonight's show. Daryl Fort is a community development consultant and gender violence prevention educator. He's the former vice chair of the board of Boys to Men. As a trainer, speaker, and curriculum developer, he's worked extensively across the country and around the world with professional and collegiate athletes, active-duty military servicemen and women, corporate professionals, state and local government, and community-based organizations. Welcome back to Safe Space, Daryl. It's good to be here. So we agreed we are going to focus tonight on how to think about beginning to reverse this, how to think about ways that individuals can look at their own behavior, the, the ways that they participate. And the first point that you've made to me is step one in that is to begin to recognize how involved in it we already are. I'd love to hear you say more about that. Part of what we've already talked about here can some, in some ways be described as the, the air we breathe, the water we swim in. And for, for many people, there's a kind of disassociation from men's violence against women. I don't see it. I'm not a part of it. These cultural dynamics we've been talking about is not something that is a negative part of my life. So how does this apply to me? I think a key element to, to getting folks to, to think differently about their own, the opportunity that they have to be a part of the solution to some of these problems is to first get them to personalize it um, in a way that means something to them. And there are different ways to do that. But one of the basic ways is is to, again, I've talked about this before, to kind of lay lay on the table the ways in which we're encouraged to not do those things. So if I think about, for example, I'm in a room full of guys, and this is something that we often do, and it's just guys. And we're talking about the issue of men's violence against women. And I'll ask them, everybody in this room that has a woman, any woman in their life that they care about, sister, daughter, cousin, wife, what have you. Mother. Mother. You know, just raise your hand. Right? And it just seems like an, an obvious and simple thing to exercise, to do something, to point out. But it's enlightening for us as as guys, particularly a group of guys, to think of themselves as having any kind of stake at all in the issue itself as it's framed. So if we frame this, and you had the Governor LePage talking about this on your show, if this is constantly framed as an issue that's for women, then it's a disincentive for guys to feel any personal stake in it at all or to get involved. But if on top of that we want to present things that are women's issues as potentially um, a zero-sum or confrontational or hostile to men, well, that's another way that we are encouraged and encourage ourselves to not play a role. So if to take the, the exercise one step further, if we're allowed 
and this will be familiar to just about any of us, in within male peer culture and beyond, for guys to have to check themselves in a conversation about women or young women in sexuality if the subject turns to a relative or a loved one of somebody else in the group. So I was like, hey, man, that's so-and-so. That's Daryl's sister that you're talking about. Oh, oh snap, Shh, you know, keep it down, right? So we don't want to we don't want to cross that threshold because it's understood as being disrespectful in so many different ways. The implications about um, respect and behavior are understood, yet somehow we're encouraged to lose that perspective about somebody else's sister or mom or cousin or daughter. Then how are we ever going to be able to check our own behavior? or hold somebody else in our peer group accountable. So here's an example of how we can both make this issue more personal, but also illustrate how we police each other out of um, courageous and thoughtful behaviors. So I have a friend back in the day, played football, uh, was home uh, from his school, played football in college, was home from his school during Christmas break, was at the mall with his sister. They were buying gifts. Well, they had split up, but they'd come back to meet each other at a said location. And he was walking back and noticed that behind where she was sitting, there were three guys that seemed to be roughly his age. Her, his sister was a few years younger. And they're standing together, and they're kind of eyeballing his sister, leaning in, talking to each other, laughing, looking back at her. Now, he says he can immediately feel himself becoming enraged over what he imagined that they were saying and thinking about her. And it was, even at that time, was relatively new um, for him. And he's walking up to them and, and thinking about all the things that he wants to do to these guys, but ultimately he didn't. He just sort of scooped up his sister and they drove off. Well, the next weekend, he's back on his campus in his apartment that he shares with a group of guys who were teammates. And they are, quote, unquote, debriefing their Christmas break. Now, I, we all might imagine what that sort of all-male debrief was like, and uh, we would be right. They're basically talking about, you know, their sexual conquests or not, because we all know that these guys are all telling the truth during these times, and uh, uh, we don't make any of that stuff up. Um, and talking about women, in this case, other people's sisters or daughters in ways in which he imagined these three guys were talking about his. And he would, he realized he had an epiphany. He's like, as enraged as I was a week ago over the thought of some other guys doing this to my sister, how in the heck have I been? And now we'll continue to have these same conversations. And it was said it was an awakening for him in a way. And he spoke up in that moment basically expressing that to his teammates. And predictably, they got on him, right? They basically called him out of his name for being weak-minded and stupid and all other manner of things to the point where he re almost regretted what it was that he said. The term he used was, I should have maybe kept that as an inside thought rather than an outside thought. But something happened later on that night uh, when two of his, a couple of his uh, roommates independently came up to him afterwards and basically said, you know what, man, you're, you're right about that. 
you know, I, I never thought of it that way, but I can see where you're coming from. And the point of that is, is that, you know, for him, it was a, a, a sort of personal awakening, but he also had to make the choice to sort of stand up to the challenge that unfortunately we present to our friends and our peers who are trying to be thoughtful, who are trying to be courageous, who are trying to, um, you know, create a better environment for our sisters by thoughtfully trying to create a better environment for somebody else's. But we're not encouraged as a culture, particularly as a male peer culture, to think in those terms. In fact, we're encouraged to think exactly the opposite way. And that's the piece that's got to change. And so there's basically some potential for painful social consequences. I mean, when we really challenge what feels normal, people don't like it. So much of this work and the work that I do is exactly that. It's about illuminating the challenges and the fears that we have about social consequences for our behavior right sometimes it's about physical danger it's like look if i get in this i could some harm could be done from it to me and that's very real and that's something to think about and talk about but so oftentimes in a whole nother context this is about conversations that are had this is about what somebody's got as their wallpaper on their computer this is about the ways in which we talk about and communicate with each other about women and girls. But the point of that is about his personal realization that said to him, look, this can't be abstract to me. This can't be abstract to us. If we're going to change the way that this works for our loved ones, our sisters, our daughters, our mothers, then we have to change our behavior and our attitudes towards somebody else's sister, somebody else's mother. But there are other pieces of this that involve being able to build the capacity to speak up or act in moments that feel anxious or in some ways can be dangerous, but to do it in ways that are safe yet courageous. So, so in other words, you don't, you, leave, you don't leave, hopefully, without a sense of, if I'm confronted with a situation like this again, and I feel like it's important for somebody and that somebody should be me to intervene or step up in some way. Here's how I could do it. Here's how I would do it. And so, so you, you help people think that through in advance. That's the group thinks this through. That's exactly right. So the context that I just described in terms of the story about my friend and his sister in the mall is only it's, it's part of a process. So if we can begin in some ways in that place and get to a point where from a group perspective, people are feeling like, you know, this is, I've been kind of acquiescing to a lot of stuff that probably I shouldn't be. You know, I've been a little bit, I've been too passive. I've been more passive than I envisioned myself being as a person, as a man, as a young man, as a brother, as a sister, as a friend. I've been acting in ways that don't quite live up to maybe my image of myself, and I've been encouraging others to do the same. I don't want to do that anymore, and I don't want to have that done to me anymore. Part of what's interesting to me about that story is that at the end of it, these two guys come up to him privately, separately, and say, you know, you know, you were right. That was really not good. But I wonder what it would have taken for them to stand up with him 
in the moment. So there he is. He's, these guys are debriefing their sexual conquest. And he, you know, he speaks up. But these two guys keep silent in that moment. They can only come to him later and say, I agree with you. And what do you think we could do to help each other, you know, join in when someone's making a courageous stand like that? to speak up and join them because that also is, is a place that we could make a difference. Yeah. Well, one of the answers to that is, I think, the next time. So that scene might have marked um, a turning point in the life of that small little peer culture. And, and that's what one act of leadership and courage potentially did. Now, we don't want to pretend like somehow, it, you know, there's always a Hollywood ending to, you know, acts of leadership and courage in this way but we know if no one does then <laughs> then that answer speaks for itself let me give an example that's often used in the work to try and, and illustrate how the the problem the issue of violence and sexual assault can be normalized in the culture so so the ritual around alcohol and sex is one that often ends very badly for everybody involved. But unfortunately, the ritual has become so normalized across the, the country and in the culture that it's a problem to get people to even recognize that there are ways in which we can look at this more critically and there are ways in which we can be more responsible that can be really helpful in eliminating a lot of the assaults that take place. And assaults happen male on female, male-on-male, female-on-female. We, we talked a lot about the kind of male-female binary. That's the, that's the focus of this, but we don't, I don't want to uh, make it seem like there aren't other forms of, of sexual violence um, and, and gender violence that take place. But let's go back to the, to the sort of ritual of guys go out, often go out together. They want to meet women. It's a bar or a club. The women are out to meet guys as well, but too often there's a sort of predator-prey a relationship between men and women and the guys are out together and it and it turns into a kind of game but as I said the game often ends up with someone being um, hurt very badly and uh, the situation being involving a, a lot of pain now a lot of times probably more times than not it ends up not being a problematic situation but too often um, what ends up happening is this guy's forcing himself on this woman, and the in, the intent is not ahead of time. You know, I'm gonna let's let's get somebody drunk for the purposes of assaulting them. That's just not the way this conversation happens. But unfortunately, that's often the way the situation ends. Think about how we have sort of nicknames for some of these players. You've got the wingman. We've got the potential friend of, of a woman who's out with a group of her friends who are who are set up to kind of to block these sexual advances and alcohol is the tool so often used to disinhibit the prey if you will i mean it's a very crude sort of term but i mean that's the way a lot of this oftentimes this plays out and it's not thought of in that way it's not thought of in the kind of sinister way that it's often used and alcohol is used as the tool, but it but it's used as a tool in such a casual way. It's so normalized in the sense that, you know, the idea that if I'm a guy, then I need to get a woman drunk to disinhibit her 
in a way that she'll be easier to have sex with. And we're sold that idea. We're sold that idea that alcohol and sex are inextricably linked and it's just a way to have a good time. We're sold the idea and we play a role in it um, that women are begotten, guys are out to get them, and so, so do we do this dance. So if we think about, you know, what the role of someone is there to be helpful, what is something that one of those wingmen could do if they realize that what's really happening here is he's getting her drunk to have sex with her, and that's not exactly full consent? Yeah, say I, I see that, and I'm looking at this, and I'm one of this guy's friends, and I see this as a problem. Not, not just for her, but I see this as a potential problem for him to say, look, man, I, you know what, you, you, you think it's a good idea to buy her another drink, or... You know, where do you think this is going? Or what are you going to, what are you trying to do here? And the, and the response might be, well, what do you think I'm trying to do? Like, what? You know, this bewildered look, like, hey, you know, don't you know how this is supposed to work? All right, we got nicknames for guys and women who step in in situations like that and ask critical questions, right? They're, they're you know, blocking something, um, if you will. So in that sense, the nicknames that we use, the ridicule, and stigmatization that can occur in that moment is part of the choice we make. It's how we participate in either making a responsible choice, again, on behalf of not just there's a woman here where the scene might potentially end up with her being a victim of assault, but then there's also this person that's supposed to be my friend, right? I'm supposed to be looking out for this guy. He's my buddy, but I'm going to potentially let this go down in a very bad way because, you know, I'm afraid of being called a name or I'm afraid that making this choice of asking him a critical question or saying, look, I don't think this is a good idea is going to somehow jeopardize our friendship. Right. And it, and it's me and him and three of our friends. So there's five of us there. So everyone in one way or another is a participant in that, and it's about making a choice of sort of which side do I want to be on. And most of us, many of us, choose the thinking that's like, look, I don't, you know, I, I, hey, this isn't any of my business. You know, what do I have to do with this even more so? Why would I want to step into this in a way where I'm going to now potentially be the subject of some type of ridicule or derision? I don't, I don't want that. I don't need that. I'm going to pick my battle some other time in some other way. And those, you know, that's a that's a very real response, but it's one in which we we have to be able to think about a situation like that critically. We, we we've got to be able to challenge ourselves around a circumstance like that and not be a, afraid. There's a way that it's so easy to be in a situation like that and not really see it for what it is. To really kind of not look at it and get it, but just think, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. There's such an easy kind of minimization that well, the, can well, happen. That's where, the, that's where when we talked about this earlier, and it may seem sort of more abstract that, you know, these, quote, conditions exist in the culture that encourage us to look past these situations. You know, we are, we are taught in so many ways that, well, this is the ritual. Like, sort of, who are you to challenge this ritual? Right. And actually, if I'm getting in between, if, if my friend, if I'm a guy and my guy friend is like, everything's working, you know, he's buying her drink after drink. She's getting more and more responsive. She's getting more and more drunk, less and less capable of saying no. 
And I step in there to say, hey, you know, he is not going to thank me for that. He's going to be really angry that I just wrecked it. It was all going so well. Yeah, this is part of the plan. And I can imagine that, that for me, if I'm, if I'm his friend and I'm anticipating, I'm trying to work it out, do I say something or not, that I'm worried about a very real potential loss of that friendship. Yeah. Somebody I might really care about. No, so there's a fear of ridicule. There's afraid of the other guys. Like, what? You wrecked everything. The pressure inside me to not speak up is powerful. Yeah. And let, let me be clear. This isn't about, from my perspective, being the, the sex police or encouraging somebody to be the sex police. I mean, I think, you know, consensual, responsible sex between uh, adults is, is their own business. But potentially we're not talking about consensual sex and i think in in some ways given the situation we just talked about um, that gets lost that you know what part of the plan part of the ritual for this is to render somebody intoxicated enough so that they're not making the same type of clear-headed decisions that they might make otherwise so some folks may be listening to this and saying you know i don't i'm not part of that scene I mean, that, that was my early 20s or that I, that was never, you know, something that I was involved in. And, you know, that may or may not be true. But what that example illustrates is the type of situation that happens in the culture that it routinely goes unexamined. And it's a situation in which there are often multiple players who feel like they have some neutral role. Well, we've got to be able to recognize for ourselves that as bystanders to these behaviors, we're not neutral. We can't be neutral. Either we're participating in them, we're confronting them and challenging them, or we're silent. But what silence ends up being is complicity, right? So if we're not standing up and challenging some of this stuff, then the status quo um, remains. And I think there's a role for us to challenge and I think there's a role for us to support those who would stand up and challenge as well. You said earlier, don't expect it to have a Hollywood ending. I'd love it if you could say more because, of course, if I want to st- if I want to stick my neck out and say something and interrupt something that's going on that feels dangerous to me, potentially, I want it to work out well. <laughs> I want to feel effective. I want to feel like I did the right thing. And how do you help people... Have the courage to speak up knowing that it really just might feel awful. Yes, they might have intervened in a situation that stopped some, that may have protected somebody. But in terms of the people that I really am close to, it still might be very jagged. It might be difficult. And um, how do you help people deal with that? So I think part of the answer to that is that it's true, that, you know, there's no... There's no love dust. As I said, there's, no, there's, there's often not a, a Hollywood ending, um, so don't necessarily expect a Hollywood ending to this. Don't necessarily expect that you're not going to get pushback because chances are that you are. Um, the hope is that over time what becomes normal or accepted in our peer culture, in our workspaces, in our communities, in our system of media, changes for the better. And another way to understand these issues is to is to know that you know they're they're complex. I mean, we've talked and focused a lot about gender, but.
but it's not just about gender. There are issues of race. There are issues of class. There are issues of sexual orientation. They all intersect uh, when we're talking about men's violence against women, but it's important to be able to focus on gender in some of the ways in which we have in this discussion um, and shine a light on it because without shining a light on some of this stuff, we're never going to have a chance to confront it in a positive way. So let me be clear about sort of what this means when we talk about challenging language, when we talk about stepping up in social situations. The idea behind this is that, and I said this before, in the presence of these attitudes, in the presence of this language and this behavior, exists the real danger for many of the women and girls in our communities and our lives, right? Because there are guys out there that are doing real bad things to them. And it impedes our ability to take that violence as seriously as we should when a whole nother context we've sort of split women into this category of there's my mom and my sister and then pretty much every other woman or girl out there is just another bitch or a hoe because it's hard to take what happens seriously the way that we've constructed this in our culture to take seriously what happens to somebody that's just another hoe. We're going to have to end this interview. I really want to thank you so much for being my guest. One of the things that I've really taken from you is the very real complexity of these decisions when you're in that moment. First of all, how common that moment is. It's not these extreme moments we're really talking about in terms of like rape and murder, sexual assault. We're talking about everyday language, Every that these things are ubiquitous, they're happening all the time, and that to speak up against it is is really a social risk. And one of the things that I've really got from this is the importance of being very clear with myself ahead of time that I want to take that risk, that actually that that reflects the kind of way I want to be in the world, the kind of courage I would like to live up to. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank you for that because I think that's going to help me the next time is to have made that decision ahead of time. And knowing that it's probably not going to go that well or may not be received well is, is, is uh, the one hand, worrisome, but it helps me to know that going in. And then the, the, the opposite of that is also true. And, you know, you can, we can be surprised by the level of support we receive if we're the ones that take that first step. And I think it's a story... You know, in other ways, that's often told as kind of a lesson in leadership, but it applies to this issue. So I appreciate um, what you're saying because it's an important message in the work. Daryl Fort, thank you so much for being my guest on Safe Space. Thank you. If you'd like to contact Daryl or have him come to work with the organization, his email is dfort44 at yahoo.com. This is Dr. Ann. I've been talking to violence prevention educator Daryl Fort. If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety, or if you'd like to email the link to a friend, please go to our website at www.safespaceradio.com. There you can email subscribe to get a weekly announcement with a link to each week's show. You can also download the show from the iTunes store. If you go into podcast, you can like us on Facebook. Coming up next is The Watchdog.